Now, let's take our Bibles. I want you to put a marker in Titus chapter 1. Is he going to do that again? Yes, I guess I should. Did I turn on my mic? There we go. Now it's on. Good deal. All right. I, when I get in the pulpit, I just forget about everything else. I have to have other people turning stuff on because I will just forget. Amen. And, uh, but anyway, Titus chapter 1, and then we'll go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Say, do you always do that? Yes, I almost in every message have you turn to two places to start with tonight. We're, we're going to look at a bunch of scripture. And I didn't use as much this morning as I normally do. We stayed in two passages. Uh, this morning we'll stay in the, or this evening, it might be morning before we're done. I don't know. I have a hotel room. I don't have to drive home tonight. But anyway, First uh, Timothy chapter 1 and Titus chapter 1. We'll look at these two passages and I believe God will help us this evening. First Timothy chapter 1, look at verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, uh, by our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. And by the way, let me just pause right here. Paul knew his calling. He knew what he was. This isn't bragging. In fact, you, you read through Paul's ministry, he didn't brag about who he was. He bragged about who God was. He said, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I answered him. He calls himself a bond slave. Uh, he said, so uh, he's an apostle. Uh, he says, uh, uh, by commandment of God our Savior, he didn't choose the ministry. It wasn't a career path. It was a calling. He says in verse number two, unto Timothy, mine own son, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. And we'll pause right here. There's a bunch of people on, on social media that, that call themselves fundamental Baptist Christians need to read those verses. Just some of that stuff you need to leave alone. And now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. That word unfeigned means without hypocrisy. It means genuine. From which some, having swer uh, swerved, have turned aside unto vain jaggling, uh, desiring to be teachers of the law and understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. You ever heard somebody talk about something it was obvious they had no clue what they were talking about? That's what he's talking about. And he says here, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners and for unholy and profane and for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, and for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves in man, uh, with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And I love the way he words this. If there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, that's one of those, if I missed something on the list, put it right there. He said, according, uh, he says there, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. I want to keep reading in that chapter, but if I do, I'm going to get on to another message, and I can't do that. All right, so Paul's writing to this young preacher, Timothy, and he's giving him some instructions. Now, keep your place here, but go to Titus chapter 1, and we'll read the first five verses here. 
Titus 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested His word through preaching. If you mark in your Bibles, you ought to underline that. How does God speak to us today? Through His word, through preaching. Amen? I like it. Uh, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Let's pray and we'll get right into the message. Father, help us tonight as we gather around your eternal word. Help us to understand what you're saying to us. I pray you would help each of us to come with receptive hearts. May we be like the people in Berea who came with all readiness of mind and they received the word of God and then they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. I pray you'd help us tonight as we come to the word of God. Help us have an open heart and open mind and then God would you speak to us. I don't ask you to do more than speak. Would you change us tonight? For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In, this t- in the two texts that we've just read, we see the Apostle Paul addressing two young preachers that he had trained. They were men that were in the ministry. The first one, Timothy, had been with Paul, and it's just an incredible story of how Paul got Timothy. Because in Acts 15, Paul and his best friend Barnabas separated ways. They had a disagreement. And they didn't go on a second missionary journey together. And so Barnabas took John Mark and went his way. And then, and then, and of course, God used both of them for years after that. And in fact, John Mark ended up writing the Gospel of Mark. And then you see right after that, Paul and the church choose Silas to be his, his companion But the very next chapter in Acts 16, you see Paul then having Timothy added to the team. And it's obvious Timothy was God's choice to be with Paul. Just amazing how God put those two together. And God often does that. He'll put two men together that will serve together. And these two men traveled and served together. Then Titus, or later Paul, when he left Ephesus, where he'd been pastor for over three years, he left Timothy to be in charge. Timothy was the new pastor. Then we come to Titus, the same kind of things going on. Paul had, had trained t- Titus, and then when he had been on the island of Crete, helping all those churches, he left Titus, and he gave him some instructions. Verse 5, for this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. He said, all right, I want you to go to all the churches that we started on the island of Crete. I want you to make sure everything's going right. Make sure you fix the doctrinal error and any, anything they're doing that's wrong fix it, then help them find a pastor and put pastors in their place. That's what's going on. And so we see churches that are, that are under great instruction and, and we see these two men, they're very similar. Uh, both traveled with Paul. I don't know that I could have traveled with Paul. Uh, anybody knew Dr. Joe Boyd, Evangelist Joe Boyd? That was my mentor and my hero of the faith. 
Dr. Boyd was an evangelist for 65 years, traveled the country doing big tent revivals. I traveled with him in the 70s. He helped my dad get started in evangelism in the 60s. Uh, when Rhonda and I got married in 1980, we went to work at the camp. Our kids grew up at Mount Salem Revival Grounds. Uh, he said, where's that at? Back in the hollers of West Virginia, three and a half miles up a single lane road where the only thing you can get on a radio is static. That's it. That's a great place to raise children, by the way. And, uh, and, but Dr. Boyd was, was, was just an amazing man and ho- holding all these revivals. He had a training school for evangelists. You'd get in a motorhome with him and go on the road. And you'd, he'd teach you from 9 in the morning till noon. Then you'd have lunch. And from 1 to 5, you'd be out soul winning and running bus routes and all that kind of stuff. And then at 5, you'd come back to church, get a bus, a van, go pick up your converts, bring them back to church. You'd have revival meeting on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. And then Saturday, you'd go out bus calling all day, and you'd have youth rally on Saturday night. Then you'd close out the revival on Sunday. That's just the way it was. And uh, so they would have all these advertisements. Come travel, Dr. Joe Boyd. I'll never forget in Bible college, they had a banquet, the Joe Boyd Banquet. Had it every year uh, in March. And they had a big conference at the church. And they had this banquet. And the whole idea was to get you to sign up to come. I went to that banquet. Man, it sounded exciting. You don't get to preach in all those places. Preach under the tent. Can you imagine the brochure for traveling with the Apostle Paul? Come travel with the Apostle Paul. Get shipwrecked. Stoned. Left for dead. Go to prison in every place. you. No, I don't think I'd have signed up for that one. You know, in my ministry, I, I've been privileged to have my pastor every Saturday afternoon would have us preacher boys at his house after we got done with our bus routes, and he would teach us about the ministry in his living room. And I'll never uh, be able to repay him for what he, he put in me during those afternoons. Dr. Boyd, hands-on teaching you. There's nothing like being trained by a man of God. Can you imagine being one of the men trained by the Apostle Paul? That's these two young men. Both were called Paul's sons in the faith. They were, if you'll allow me to use the term, preacher boys. People often say, you're a Joe Boyd preacher boy. Yes, I am. Yeah, I know how old I am. I know I have grandchildren, but I'm still one of his preacher boys. Both of them were left in an area with instructions on how to train leaders in those places. They were both given instructions on how to the qualifications of leaders, both 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, we see those instructions. The common thread, in the, there's a common led, thread in, in the letters to both of these men. Today we're going to look at that. As we look in Titus, in Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, in fact, let's look back at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 3, if you'll look back there. He said, I besought thee, uh, I, uh, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some, what does it say? That they teach no other doctrine. Paul said to Timothy, I'm leaving you here, and I want you to make sure people know we're not changing our doctrine. Let's preach doctrine. And, and, And so the first thing I want you to see that Paul's instructing them is about doctrine. What does that teach us? What is right? Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse number 10. For homemongers and for them that defile themselves with mankind and for men-stealers and for liars and for perjured persons, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So he's dealing with doctrine. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. Just a couple pages over in your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16 where Paul says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, what's the word? Doctrine. 
all right? For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. So he's dealing with this matter of doctrine. He said the Bible is good for doctrine. And by the way, that's why you ought to be a Bible preacher. Because doctrine only comes from here. If it doesn't come from here, it's heresy. And so he tells him, uh, there in 2 Timothy, all Scripture, that's where you get it. By the way, when he said that, he's talking about Old Testament and New Testament. I wish I had time to go off on that, but I don't. Uh, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse number 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap on themselves teachers having itching ears. He's saying, Timothy, there's going to come a day where people won't want to hear strong Bible doctrine. Can I tell you, we live in that day. People don't like doctrine. They don't want to be told that there's an absolute. Can I tell you there is an absolute? I have a message I preach um, that I originally wrote a preacher after I got ticked off at somebody. <laughs> I don't recommend you do that. But I was in a meeting, a youth meeting, and a guy gets up and says there are no absolutes. There's, you know, it's a lot of gray area. It's not just black and white. So the next Sunday, or the next the next time, I think it was Thursday night, the next youth meeting they had, I was the scheduled speaker. And so that week I wrote a message where, where, where Samuel said he would, get, he would tell them the, the right way. Remember that? And so I preached a message on the yellow line down the middle of the road that God drew some lines. Amen. Say, how did that go over? I had a good time. But anyway... <laughs> And just so you know, the guy that did the message before was not a staff member, and, uh, and he shouldn't have preached the message. I mean, there are absolutes. There is doctrine. Uh, Titus chapter 1, look back there, verse number 9. I love this verse. Titus 1, verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. Let's talk about preachers. That he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So what's he saying? A preacher, somebody that's trained, that somebody that's in the ministry, ought to be able to take this book and fix error. He ought to know the book. That's what he's saying. That he ought to know doctrine. Uh, in Titus chapter 2, look at it there, verse number 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. What's he saying? He's saying that we're supposed to stay with doctrine. You're looking at a preacher that's a Baptist on purpose. I'm not a Baptist because my dad is a Baptist. He is, but that's not why I'm a Baptist. I'm a Baptist because this book made me one. We as Baptists are known for the importance of the Word of God, how, how much emphasis we put on Scripture. We talk about doctrine all the time. And by the way, I'm, I'm afraid that we have a generation of, of independent Baptists that don't know doctrine. We know all the buzzwords that get everybody to shout in the camp meeting, but we don't know a lot of doctrine. I know the words I could say tonight to get y'all shouting, I'd get somebody running the aisles. But the question is, did we learn any doctrine? Did we learn any truth from the Scriptures? Doctrine, is, and just in the general sense, according to the Webster's 1820 Dictionary, is that whatever is taught, hence the principle or position of any science or any area of study. When we talk about the Bible, we're talking about the truth from the Scriptures. So as Baptists, we ought to be preaching the truth from the Bible. And we as Baptists are known to be people of the book. In fact, if you use a little acrostic on Baptists, 
Uh, I have a series of tapes, uh, CDs back there, not tapes. I haven't had those in decades. I uh, didn't bring them up here. I, did a, I, I taught when I was pastoring at Defiance, Ohio. I taught for 53 Wednesday nights on what Baptists believe. I didn't intend to go 53 weeks, but I'm long-winded. That is not the time to say amen. I'm looking at my family right now. But uh, uh, we don't know why we're Baptists. We love the Bible. As, as Baptists, we, and with that little acrostic on Baptists, you know, you go through each of the letters of the word Baptist, you know, the B stands for biblical authority. Our only authority is that book. It doesn't matter what I say. What does this book say? We love the Bible. As fundamentalists, we hold to the Bible as our final authority in all matters of, of faith and practice. It's our only authority. The Bible is the Word of God. We will defend it. We'll teach it. We'll preach it. I love this poem that's written by uh, Stephen Nichols. Um, it, it's called, I'll Just Read My Bible. It says, I read my Bible today and there I found the answers to all life's questions, its trials and its fears. On each page I learned to trust and just obey in every situation as I went about my day. With simple childlike faith came understanding for the way, a never-ending well of wisdom, my life no more in disarray. Such wonders I've discovered, such things I never knew, were right there for the taking, and every one was true. So I've determined now to, to each day start with heaven's treasures deep in my heart. As I face life's twists and turns, that old book, uh, to that old book I'll soon return. So go ahead and scoff and ridicule if you please. I'll just keep on trusting Jesus and stay down on my knees. You can trust the scholars and the experts, so they say, but I'll just read my Bible as I did today. We love our Bible. We're warned that the day would come. We read it there in 2 Timothy chapter 4. That the day is going to come when people will turn away from sound doctrine. You say, well, how do you know that's true? Look at all these huge churches being built. Well, they call themselves churches. They're religious country clubs. That build it on rock music and their, their parties. I mean, you walk in, it looks like a rock concert. I'm glad I walk in here. It looks like church. There's a pulpit made of wood, which is the Bible says you're supposed to. I've always wanted to go to one of those. I'm a pulpit pounder. Uh, I've broken my hand hitting a pulpit. I've torn a meniscus in my knee stomping behind a pulpit. It's true. Did that, what, four years ago, five years ago? Stomped my foot. The platform underneath the, the carpet gave way, and I tore the meniscus in my knee. I don't recommend you do that. Uh, but I've always wanted to get up behind one of those plexiglass deals and just smack the top of that just to see what would happen. Amen. Y'all afraid where I'm going next, aren't you? You watch right now. You know, I can see it now. Brother Williams has one of those plexiglass ones in his office right now. He's <laughs> like, not a chance. But we like preaching. We believe it's important. He says, holding fast to the faithful word. Doctrine, it's important. It's what we teach and what we believe. It is important. I'll never forget years ago, the man that was the assistant pastor of my home church, he's been pastoring now in, in, uh, in Georgia for 35 years. One day I was talking to him. He says, you know, I was listening to the Focus on the Family broadcast, as he calls it, the Hocus Pocus on the Family broadcast. And, and they, they made a statement that was against doctrine of the Bible. He said, so I called their office. And some of you are saying, you shouldn't name names. Well, Paul did, and Jesus did, so you deal with that. But anyway, he, uh, he called their office and said, I'd like to, to speak to Dr. Dobson. Okay, why? So well, I'm a pastor, and 
I want to discuss one of his recent broadcasts. I want to talk about Bible doctrine. And they made this statement. He doesn't discuss doctrine because doctrine divides. Well, you're right about that. Doctrine's why I'm not a Nazarene tonight. Doctrine's why I'm not a Catholic. Doctrine's why I'm a Baptist. Right? And so we preach that. And as Baptists, we, we want to believe what the book says. And, and we, wanna, we, we want to say this is God's Word. It's true. It's inspired. It's preserved. It's God's Word, and I believe it. Amen. Doctrine, to teach what's right. Now I want you to go to Titus chapter 1 again. The second thing that he emphasizes here, look at verse number 9. Holding fast the faithful Word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by, what's the next two words? Sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Notice what Paul is saying to, to Titus in Titus chapter 1 about the, uh, the qualifications of an elder, a pastor. Uh, look at verse number 6. He says, uh, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. He is discussing, he's giving us the list. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, we have a very similar list. Turn back there if you will. He says in verse number 1, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, uh, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not guilty of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man not know how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are with, which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. So he gives us these instructions, and he lists all the qualifications. People say, well, you shouldn't, have, you shouldn't have rules. Well, you have those to join the Army. My son was in the Army National Guard for 11 years. I tried to join the Air Force. They didn't want me. I passed all the tests. I, I passed the physical. And then they asked me a question. Do you now or have you since age 14 have symptoms of asthma? I said, sure. Well, I've had asthma since I was nine months old. I carry an inhaler everywhere I go. I got one in my pocket right now. They said, you can't join. I said, why not? Because that's against our rules. But wait a minute. The sign out front had Uncle Sam saying, I want you. And they said, we didn't mean you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I feel the rejection. I've been dealing with it for a long time. Amen. But what are you saying? There's always rules. And God's not saying you can't serve in a church if you can't meet those rules. You just can't be pastor. So God's got a list. Why? Because these are the leaders. And we see that list as he identifies all these different things. And we'll not take time to go through all those lists right now. But he deals with a lot of things. He deals with the condition of his home. He deals with his reputation in the community. The fact that he's not a drinker. That he doesn't start fights. I think you would, you would agree it wouldn't be good to have a pastor who likes to get in fist fights in a parking lot. Not a good thing. I think you're going to have a problem building a church if that's your reputation. I knew a church in Florida. 
that uh, before the pastor came, the, the, the previous group of people were known that every first Saturday night of the month, they had deacons meeting, and every first Saturday night of the month, the sheriff was called because there was a fist fight of the deacons in the parking lot. That's not good. You know, <laughs> you don't want that kind of reputation. So he's talking about how important it is to have the right kind of men as leaders. Look again at Titus 1 and verse number 9, <clears throat> where he now, as he's at the end of this list, of these men of God and their qualifications. He says, holding fast the faithful word has been taught. Okay, so he knows the truth. That he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. He's saying these men of God, they ought to be able to take this book and exhort those that are against the things of God. That word exhort means to encourage, to embolden, to advise. Um, most of us as, as, as preachers, we understand what exhortation is. We take the Word of God and we encourage somebody to obey it. We show him the benefits. We did that this morning. We showed you the problem with Jonah and said, don't go that way. But we showed you what, what happened with Peter and he responded and God blessed. Amen. What's that? That's exhortation. That's taking the Word of God, showing you truth and the benefits of obeying that truth. To convince the gainsayer. Uh, that word convince means to change their mind. You say, well, there's no sense talking to them. They'll never change their mind. The Bible just commanded you ought to be able to take that book and do that. Yeah, right. Amen? To incite by words or advice is one of the definitions. Doctrine is to teach or a, symptom, a system of teaching to exhort is to teach in such a way that it moves people to action. How is a preacher supposed to do that? By, look at verse 9 again, holding fast the faithful word as he been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. To exhort, he's to instruct and to move them to action and then to convince, to prove the point of a changed behavior. How is he supposed to do that? By sound doctrine. Doctrine is truth from this book. I thank God I grew up in a church where they taught us the Bible. I'm glad when I went to Bible college, this is not me bragging because I'm brilliant, because I'm, I'm not. But when I got to Bible college, the Bible classes were easy. Because from the time I was a little bitty boy, my dad, who was a preacher, taught me that book. From the time I was a little boy, my mom, who was a missionary before she met my dad, taught me that book. From the time I was a little boy, I had Sunday school teachers who knew this book and taught it to me. I had a pastor who systematically taught and preached the Word of God. I thank God for that. But the Bible says he's supposed to convince the gainsayers. How? If we're, he said, by sound doctrine. Now, if we go back to those two lists, the one in Titus chapter 1, and 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll find that those lists, those qualifications for the preacher, are not a list of what he's supposed to believe. It's a list of how he's supposed to behave. How is a man going to convince the gainsayers, those who don't believe this book, how is he going to convince them that they're wrong, not just with his words, but with his actions? That's how it's supposed to change. 
It says in Titus, look at verse number, uh, Titus 1 verse 16. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. He said, there's some that say they know the Bible. They say they believe what we believe, but the truth is their life does not match what they say. Why is it at an ordination of a young preacher, we spend hours talking about what he believes? And preacher, I've never been on one where we talked about what he, how he behaves. We're looking at it all wrong. We don't discuss their behavior. He says, go to Titus 2 and verse number 1. Paul gives a little more explanation. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Uh, that word become, when we read that, I think sometimes because of our laziness in understanding the English language, we miss the meaning here. And by the way, we don't need to go to a Greek or Hebrew dictionary. Just read your Bible. Enough truth in that King James Bible to keep you busy the rest of your life. Just read your Bible. That word become, uh, it means to adorn. Uh, my wife put, gets a new dress and she comes out with that new dress and shows it to me. And I would say something like this, that is very becoming on you. It means it makes her even more attractive. That's what that's talking about. He's talking about the fact that uh, we are to, we're to speak things <clears throat> which become sound doctrine. Not that it turns from not doctrine to doctrine. It means we make doctrine more attractive. Look there in Titus chapter 2. We'll read beginning in verse number 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Let the aged men be sober. So now he's not talking about preachers. He's talking about every man in the church. The older men, you're supposed to set an example. Let them be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine. Teachers of good things, that they may be able to teach the young women to be sober. To love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. We can't control what people say about us. But we can control whether or not it's true. Sure. So he was telling them, so live that they can spread gospel about you. But people that watch your life will know, no, that's not true. That's what he's saying here. Look at verse number 9. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them, that are, uh, please them well in all things, not answering again. So let me just ask you, employee, how are you doing with your boss? That's what he's talking about right here. Uh, not purloining, not showing, uh, but showing all good for, uh, fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God and our Savior in all things. What's he talking about? Live in such a way that when you witness to your boss, he listens because of how you live. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, 
looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak exhort, and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. He said, speak the things which become sound doctrine. He gives those instructions. He tells the aged men, be sober. What's that mean? Act in a sensible way, not with foolishness. Uh, one thing I could say about just what I've, I've seen happen in churches, there are a bunch of people just need to grow up. I, I'm amazed at adult men that still think they're a teenager. Right, there are things I did as a teenager that weren't sinful, that just aren't what a man's supposed to do today. You know, it's just, it's, you know, grow up. Grave, that means serious. What are you saying? Take the things of God seriously. Anybody that knows me knows when I come to church, I'm all business. Now, I have a good time. I do. I enjoy myself. You ask my family, we, we have a blast together. I get around other preachers. I like to have a good time. But I'm telling you, when it comes to things of God, I'm deadly serious. When it comes to this, this pulpit, I don't take any sermon lightly. Amen. Why? Because I'm going to answer to God for everyone. So I don't want to waste an opportunity to be used of God to help somebody. Temperate, it means in control. Not self-control, under spirit control. That's what that means. Sound in the faith. All right, we'll come back to that one. Uh, the implication is sound in charity, uh, love and action. Sound in patience, enduring difficulty. Anybody ever go through difficulty? If anybody told me how tough the Christian life was, you know, and it is difficult. The problem is we don't face all those difficulties alone. He says about the women, likewise in behaviors becometh holiness. That means to adorn, to make attractive living right. Uh, one of my favorite athletes is Tim Tebow. I didn't realize he's not a fundamental Baptist. But people mocked him when he came into the NFL because he was a virgin. And stayed that way till he got married. Well, that's a far cry from some of the others out there that are getting arrested and all this kind of stuff. Uh, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm talking about you just live in such a way that your life backs up uh, what you say you believe. We're supposed to make holiness attractive. Not false accusers. That means they tell the truth. Not giving them much wine. Not a drunk. Teachers of good things. That means they instruct others in what's right. Now, let me ask you, ladies. What are you teaching people that's right? So I'm not a teacher. He's not talking about somebody that's sitting in a school. He's not talking about a Sunday school teacher. Every woman and every man should be teaching somebody else the things of God. That's what the Great Commission is all about. Teaching them to observe all things, what I've commanded you. We think just because we get a sinner saved, they trust Christ, they get baptized, our job's done. No, you just got started, my friend. Younger women, are to, teach the younger women to do what? Be sober. Act in a sensible way. Boy, can we use that one today. To love their children. To be discreet. Man, that's a verse needs to be posted on social media. I, I, just, I can't stand looking at social media. There's stuff on there that church members say that ought not ever be repeated. By the way, God's taken note. Chaste. Teach young women to be chaste. What's that? Sexually pure. Keepers at home. Boy, that one's popular in this society. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I'm glad my wife made our children her career. 
No, there were times she worked, and she worked while they were in school. And then when they were out of school, she wouldn't work anymore. I'm talking on a day-to-day basis. Amen. I wish I had time to go on that one. Good. Teach them to be good. I mean, just be a good person. Obedient to their own husbands. Well, that one speaks for itself. Did you notice everything that Paul is instructing Titus, that, pe- that men and women ought to be teaching in a church, have to do not with doctrine, but with actions. Now notice verse number 5 of Titus 2. This is the key verse to the message. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. The word blaspheme means to be defamed or to speak evil of. The word of God is blasphemed. It's it's made light of. It's made to look wrong, not because a preacher doesn't preach what's right, but when the people don't live what's right in the context. That's exactly what that verse is saying. The Bible is blasphemed, not when the preacher gets up and maybe preaches something that's not right. The Bible is blasphemed with God's people who know what's right, don't live what's right. When what they are at church doesn't match what they are at work on Tuesday. So when we act that way, the Bible is blasphemed. Here's what Paul is saying. I want to see a demonstration of holiness. Can I just say this talk is cheap? Just being able to clearly articulate a truth is one thing. But being able to clearly demonstrate that truth by how we live is sound doctrine. Doctrine is truth. Sound doctrine is us living that truth. One of the most convincing things about Jesus' ministry was this. When he said don't, he didn't. And when he said do, he did. The book of Titus is not a book of information. It's a faithful example of demonstration. Doctrine, so it teaches what is right. Sound doctrine demonstrates what is right. Now look at chapter 2 of Titus in verse number 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. What we believe determines how we live. Jesus said in John 14, verse number 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Don't tell me you love God and you, and you ditch church. Don't tell me you love God and you don't read his book. Don't tell me you love God and you disobey his commandments. Because Jesus said, if you love me, Keep my commandments. We have the right doctrine. We've been taught the truth. I know in this church you've been taught what's right. We know what's right. In this room, I don't think there's a problem with us knowing what's right. What the world needs to see is not just somebody that has the right message. They need to see the right message. You see... 
the more consistent my life becomes, the more convincing my message will be. Let me say that again. The more consistent my life becomes, the more convincing my message will be. Let's go to Psalm 40 in your Bibles. We'll come back to Titus, Psalm 40. So how close are we to the end of the message? I have no idea. (laughs) Psalm 40, verse number 1. I love this passage of Scripture. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. Oh, don't you remember that day? When you, when you cried out to the Lord, and he brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. That's the day you got saved, where God reached down in his grace, and in the muck and mire of sin, and he pulled you out of that pit, and he put you on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he established your goings. What a day that was. I'm afraid too many of us have gotten over the blood he put us under. So David here, he says, I remember that day. Notice what he says in verse 3. This is an astounding verse. He hath put a new song in my mouth. We often hear it quoted, in my heart. No, in my mouth. But look at the rest of the verse. Even praise unto our God. So if if you're wanting to know what kind of music you should have, both at church and in your life out away from church, well, the first thing, the song that God gives you should be praise unto our God. But it doesn't end there. The praise and worship people like to stop right there in that verse. But notice what he says. Many shall see it. See a song? Uh-huh. Because the music you listen to affects your behavior. It doesn't take long for a preacher or you pastor to figure out who's listening to the wrong music. You know why? It's all over your face. Your countenance. Your attitude. Amen. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. What's he saying? When God saved me, he changed me, put my feet on a rock, he established my goings. means he told me how to live. That's what Titus was talking about in chapter 2. That we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present evil world. What's he saying? So when I got saved, God's supposed to change my my life. He's supposed to put a new song in my mouth. And that song is seen by others. And what they see causes them to fear God. That's not this reverential trust people talk about. It's them realizing there is a holy God. And he judges sin. Because I alter my behavior, it gets their attention. It's interesting. We don't have time to look at it. But in Acts chapter 9, after Paul the Apostle, Saul of Tarsus, got saved on the road to Damascus, he wanted to go join himself with the the, the disciples in Jerusalem, and nobody wanted him around. Can you blame them? Because the last time he was there, he was arresting Christians. Last time he was in Jerusalem, they stoned Stephen. Amen. Nobody believed him. Until what happened? Barnabas came along said, oh no, I saw him preaching. I saw him preaching that Jesus is very Christ. What is he saying? Paul, the apostle, prior to that being Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee, was preaching, I was wrong. Jesus is the Messiah. What changed? His behavior. And because Barnabas had observed the behavior, he was able to testify to the Jews in Jerusalem, said, no, this is a different man. 
God's transformed him. What happened? His life had changed. Many saw it and feared and trusted in the Lord. By the way, your, your music ought to do that. It ought to point people to a holy God and cause them to want to get right with that God. Doctrine is what's right. Sound doctrine, it's a demonstration of what's right. What's the application? To live what we say we believe. It's to be a demonstration. You realize you are the best Christian somebody knows? Somebody in your life, when they think of a Christian, they think of you. And whatever they think of Christians is what they see in your life. This church is only as strong as its weakest member. Do you realize what people think of your Savior is determined by how you and I live? Doctrine, we ought to believe what's right. We ought to know what we believe. I thank God for churches that have not changed what they believe and been called up on all this false doctrine. Stay with what's right. But let's do more than that. Let's live right. So that when people see us and they hear our testimony, they hear our witness, they say, yeah, I remember when you got saved. See, there's something about a drunk who was wicked and would, would, would waste all of his money on alcohol. His, his house was full of beer cans and his children would cower in the corner afraid, afraid that dad was going to beat him when he was drunk. And all of a sudden he comes to church and he gets saved and God transforms his life and he's no longer a drunk. There's no longer beer cans, but there's furniture in the house and there's food in the refrigerator. And on Saturday night, he doesn't go to the bar. On Saturday night, he lays out his clothes for church and he gets his kids together and says, kids, get your clothes together for church. Get your Bibles. We're going to have family devotions tomorrow morning. We're going to Sunday school. We're going to go to church. Then we're going to go Sunday night. He goes goes to work on Monday morning and so let me tell you what happened at church yesterday. People can look at that man, they may not like what happened to him, and they may not like the fact he doesn't go drinking with him anymore, but they can't argue with the fact that the gospel transformed him. Amen. The strength of our preaching is in our behavior out there. Sound doctrine. The only way the Bible is not blasphemed is when those of us who know what's right determine I'm going to live right. And this week, the people in our lives see a demonstration of what holiness looks like. I want to have you look at one last passage as Paul was writing to Timothy. Go, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter number 4. This will be our last verse, I think. As one preacher said, I'm, I'm going to close. I like closing. I close eight or nine times in every message. 1 Timothy 4, look at verse number 12. Paul writing to this young preacher, Timothy. And by the way, let me just say that how would you like to be the guy that followed, Timothy, uh, followed Paul as the pastor at Ephesus? Not me, buddy. How do you follow up the Apostle Paul? I mean, he wrote half the New Testament, over half the New Testament. Timothy was the pastor. Paul put him there. Look at verse number 12. Let no man despise thy youth. Let me just pause right there. That tells you they were despising his youth. Why? Because he wasn't Paul. He didn't have Paul's background. He was a church kid. He wasn't a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. He didn't have all the education Paul had, but he had the same God Paul had, had the same salvation and same call of God on his life. Amen goes right there. 
He said, let no man despise thy youth. Look at the next part of the verse. But be thou an example of the believers. Not an example to the believers. Be thou an example of the believers. You show them, Timothy, what a believer looks like. How? In word. It's how you talk, Timothy. Talk like a child of God. I'm amazed how much of the world's language has creeped into our lives. Some people can quote more movie titles and movie quotes than they can scripture you know that tells me you're listening to more movies than you are scripture what did peter and john say we cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard be the example of the believers in word in conversation that word literally means manner of life how you behave how many times has somebody ever come up to you out in the world and said you're a christian aren't you it ought to be a normal thing. I cannot tell you how many times I've had people come to me in, in, in a business setting. Say, you're a preacher, aren't you? I'll never forget the first cell phone I ever had. My granddaughter, um, Haley, asked me, you know, Papa, how old were you when you got your first cell phone? 39? Oh. She wanted the cell phone. <laughs> you get one when you're my age. But anyway, I got, I, I was, we lived in West Virginia at Mount Salem. There's no place to buy cell phones around West Union in those days. I had to drive to Charleston, South Carolina, uh, Charleston, West Virginia to get a cell phone. I went down to Sam's Club down there, and I got a cell phone. Because back when AT&T was the only one who had to free long distance, that was, that was heaven sent for evangelists, because we spent a lot of money on tel- telephones, amen. And uh, I got my first phone. I remember I was talking to the guy. I hadn't told him I was a preacher. I was just... And I wasn't wearing a suit. I was wearing a shirt like this and khaki pants, but I wasn't wearing a tie. And we're talking, and I told him I need to get a cell phone. And he's, he just stops. He said, wait a minute. You're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, I know. He said, when you walked in, God told me you were one of his. Then he told me a story. He was a preacher that was away from God. He had left his wife, was shacked up with another woman. He said, just you sitting in front of me, God's been convicting me since you've been sitting here. I hadn't quoted a verse to him. I hadn't given him a track. When was the last time something like that happened to you? That's what Paul's talking about to Timothy. Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation. Just so live. People can look at you and like, yeah, that's, that's a child of God. That's what I'm talking about. All right, we're getting right now where we live. In charity. What's that word charity? That's love in action. What have you done this week in the last seven days to show somebody the love of God? Have you helped anybody? We're so selfish in our society. In spirit, that's little s, spirit, it means attitude. What if every church member had your attitude? Just think about that. Is your attitude worth copying? All the parents are going, oh, you know, as a parent, you just look at a child, you can see the attitude that you want to slap it right off their face. Can I get a witness? And they can be eight months old, nine months old. She's 10 months old now, oh, my soul. Our little granddaughter, Amelia. I know who, who her papa is. It's real obvious when you look at her. <laughs> I'm her papa. We see those attitudes. Paul was saying to Timothy, you be an example of a believer in your attitude. In faith, when was the last time you just did something because God said so? It didn't make sense, but you obeyed God in faith. Timothy was never going to be Paul, but he could be an example of a believer. 
in faith, um, in purity. You be pure, Timothy. You be holy. Then he said, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Paul said to Timothy, he said, you'll never be what I am. They're, gonna, they're going to despise your youth. Don't let them. You just show them how believer lives. When you go to work tomorrow, there are going to be people where you work don't believe this book. They might even make fun of it. They may not believe what you believe. They may not follow the teaching you follow. And when you try to talk to them, they don't want to listen, but they cannot argue with the fact your life is different. Years ago when I was, when in fact when I was teaching at Marietta Bible College, I was an assistant pastor in a church, but I was working a full-time job. I worked at a print shop. I'll close with this story. I was every Friday afternoon in that print shop. They would have a keg party. They'd have a beer party. My first day coming to that print shop, I, I, I did the graphics. I ran the graphics department. I came in with a big red Bible. It wasn't this one. I had another one. I just set it right on my desk in my office. And next to that was a pile of tracks, Brother Graham. Not one time was I ever invited to the beer party. Not one time. Never went. They didn't ask. Why? Because they knew I was different than they were. But I sure had a lot of them come to me on lunch and say, hey, Doug, uh, man, my wife and I are going through something right now. Can we talk? And I'd take my Bible at lunchtime and be able to share something with somebody at work. Hey. Wasn't because I was saying stuff during the middle of work. No, when I worked, I worked. My boss owned that time. He bought it from me. Right. Yep. All right? And he's got rules. You can't do certain things during work hours. That's fine. But on your own time, you can do whatever you want. But you can so live in such a way. That the doctrine of God is adorned, it's becoming, it's attractive. And the world looks at a believer and says, you know, they don't have what they have. They've got something I don't. I need what they have. Now, I'm not discounting confrontational soul winning. I'm for that. But in our day-to-day lives, people ought to look at us and realize there's a person that lives what they say. You see... Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. How you live, sound doctrine. As believers, let's determine to to preach right, to live right, to, to teach right. Let's know the book. Let's know what it says. Let's be able to articulate that to somebody else. But let's let those truths get in us so that when people watch us, we're different. So when we do speak to them, they'll say, oh yeah, your life backs that up, so I'll listen to you. If you're going to the same bar that your coworker is going to and you're drinking at the same table he drinks at and you try to invite him to the revival meeting, can I tell you, your witness isn't worth a dime. Why? Because your life doesn't back it up. But when you live in such a way that when people look at you, it's like, he... He really believes that because he lives that. The Bible says that's adorning the doctrine of God. That's sound doctrine. And that's how you convince those that don't believe this book. Let not the word of God be blasphemed. Let's live right. Let's demonstrate for people how a believer is supposed to live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the scriptures tonight.
Thank you that we have been taught what is right. We know the truth. We've seen it over and over again taught to us. We know what's right. We know the truth. But would you help us so alter our behavior that our life backs up what we say?